So Leviticus chapter 10. Last week we looked at chapter 9. And what a turn of events from chapter 9 to chapter 10. Um, there in chapter 9 we finally saw uh, the, the, the institution of or the, uh, the, the application of the buildup of uh, the law of God being given. Uh, the tabernacle being constructed, uh, the Le- Levitical priests being set aside, uh, all their garments, you know, being uh, made and so forth, um, all the instruction in regards to the various offer- offerings, the sin and trespass offerings for their uh, sin nature and specific sin, and then remember the the peace offering, the meal offering, and the burnt offering, which would be offerings brought forth. Uh, out of the free will, under worship, unto God, and thanksgiving to God. And then in chapter 6 through 9, we got more instruction in regards to those. And then finally in chapter 9, after a little more instruction, remember the priests, Aaron and his sons, they consecrated themselves there for seven days in the tabernacle, uh, setting aside uh, everything to, uh, you know, put their hearts in a place where now they're ready to go out and act upon all of this instruction that has been given. First of all, to bring sacrifice for their own sins, to put them in a place where now they could bring sacrifice and intercession for the sins of the people in in bringing forth their offerings. And again, all of it is just a, a shadow of that one who would come, our high priest, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us. And tonight... Uh, by grace through faith in Jesus, we're washed and we are cleansed by the blood of Christ and have eternal life. What a glorious thing. I'm glad I'm on this side of things. I like the new covenant better than the old covenant. So, you know what? It's a better covenant. The Bible says it is. So I'm not, I'm not just making that up. We're, we are partakers of the better covenant. That's a glorious thing. Um, and last week we talked, though, about how Aaron's sons, uh, a couple of them, were going through the motions, but... Their hearts weren't there. And uh, as they consecrated themselves and then they brought those sacrifices, the glory of God came down there on the tabernacle. And we talked about that and kind of compared it to the glory of God that came down on the tabernacle there at the end of uh, the book of Exodus. And considered the fact that over the years through the, through the Old Testament, there would be times when the glory of God was there when the people were yielded to the Lord with a heart of humility and then they would move into rebellion and their own way and the glory of God would depart and then when Christ came uh, the glory of God returned to that tabernacle and absolutely he sits sits at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly tabernacle and now we are here on earth the tabernacle of God Uh, the Holy Spirit dwells within believers and so we want to walk with the glory of God in our lives and with the Shekinah glory uh, that comes through uh, the work of the Spirit of God and the Word of Truth and abiding in Him. But we come to chapter 10, and unfortunately, we're going to see tonight two of Aaron's sons um, manifest the rebellion that was in their heart. And we're going to see them coming into the tabernacle and bringing a strange or a profane fire, something the Lord had not instructed them to bring, really an offering from their hand which, you know, it can be looked at in several different ways. Uh, really what it comes down to is though trying to, them trying to mix error with truth. Uh, 
And then really coming in with an arrogance, expecting God to honor it, expecting God not to act on it. And these were men that knew God acted. These were men that had been delivered out of Egypt, that it's all plagues come down on Egypt. We're, we're the front side of the 40 years after the deliverance. <clears throat> and yet, in their arrogance and in, in their pride, uh, they really thought that they could instruct God and, and God would yield to their way of doing things to their command. And uh, in doing so, uh, we're going to see that tonight <clears throat> that it cost them their own lives as the Lord was really wanting to bring a fear of God upon these people, that he was a living God and uh, he is to be feared. He is to be revered and honored. Uh, all the while, this was the Lord bringing a plan of salvation for them, showing them that he loved them so much. Um, but a parent should be loved and, and honored. And um, he wanted them to, to really get this and understand it. And so uh, let's read verse 1. We're going to make our way down through this a section at a time. I think there's a lot of application for us today and a lot of things for us to really consider here and walk in and apply. So it says here in verse 1 of Leviticus 10, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense in it or on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord. Notice here, and this is huge in it, which he or which God had not commanded them. And again, there's been great, great instruction given to the Israelites on all of this. Uh, how the Lord wanted all these things built, how the Lord wanted all these things instituted. Uh, I mean, how much have we read about holiness and consecrating things and anointing things and great specifics that God has given to them, great details. And all there was a reason for all of those things. All these things were painting a picture of Jesus Christ. They were painting a picture of the holiness of God, uh, the love of God. They were painting the picture of the fact that we are sinners and, and we're only saved through the work of the Lord. God was the one putting this forward. And, you know, think about, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about the altar and <clears throat> the fact that it was to be built, uh, you know, with, with stones not uh, hewn by man's hands, you know, prior to this. Uh, and and that man's hand wasn't to be in it and so forth. And yet we see here, Man putting forth his hand, uh, taking his own censer, his own fire, because the fire was supposed to come from the altar there in the tabernacle, his own incense, and then expecting God to come and receive this. And this is amazing because, again, these men had seen incredible things. They had experienced incredible things. Again, they had seen God bringing forth a miracle and delivering them out of Egypt, providing for them in the desert. They had seen the word of God given to Moses up there on Mount Sinai. The Shekinah glory now poured out multiple times. And yet despite all of that, they had a low view of God and a low view of the word of God. And, and I just, it's just amazing. On the other hand, these guys had a very high view of themselves. They really did. We'll take our own sensor, and a sensor is just a, like a, a pan that those coals would be put in. So we'll take our own sensor, we're going to take our own fire, our own incense, and then we're going to bring it into the tabernacle. We're going to bring it into this thing that God has set up, 
to, to provide a means of worship and to paint a picture of, of the Christ to come, for them to exercise their faith in the Christ to come and to draw near to God. But we're going to take our error and we're going to bring it in here and we're expecting God to receive this and we're expecting this to be something that everyone is fine with. Really what they were doing is, is taking error and trying to mix it with truth. And this has always uh, been one of Satan's strategies. Uh, going back to the garden there uh, in Eden, you see Satan coming along. And what's he do? He begins to question God and God's word. And he doesn't fully question all of it. But he questions enough to mix an error to lead Adam and Eve astray. And they, they chose to listen to him <clears throat> over the Lord. And this has been true in every dispensation or every period of, time, period of time from the fall of man to, you know what, the flood, to after the flood, the law, to the church age. Um, in fact, in Revelation 13, we see a description of the church of Laodicea. Most people think this is the end times church. This is the church that's prevalent today in the world. You know, you can look at those seven churches and they seem to line up with even different periods of time over the last 2,000 years. They just fit the periods of time uh, over the last uh, couple thousand years for three or 400 periods. And then there's kind of an overlap and so forth. And the Laodicea church written to there by Jesus in Revelation 13, man, it really seems to fit much of the church today. And you guys have, have heard me teach on this before, but the word Laodicea, it means man's opinion. And, and there's a lot of folks today running around and they have more regard for their opinion than the word of God. And we're not talking just about those outside of the church. That's pretty much everyone outside of the church, right? Otherwise, they would be part of the church. They would put their faith in Christ. But even so many running in, in, running around inside Christianum that have a high view of themselves and their opinion and their ways and a low view of God's word and really wanting to bring those things into the church and, and mix them. And this is where even in Leviticus, and, and the Lord willing, we'll get into this later on, where they're told not to mix fibers, animal fibers with plant fibers and, you know, all those scriptures. And you look at that and you're like, what in the world? Why couldn't they do that? There were several reasons for that. God was wanting to separate them from the Canaanites to do things differently. The law was given as well to show that they were sinners, but it was also showing them that they weren't to mix truth with error. They were to be a people set apart, to be a people holy. But the Laodicea church, talked about there in Revelation 13, it's a church that mixes man's opinion with the truth of God's word to promote their own agenda and whether they know it or not, and I think there's some wolves in Christendom that know what they're doing, and then there's a whole lot of hirelings that follow the wolves that are puppets, um, th- this ultimately leads people astray. It leads them off course. Uh, again, Revelation 3.14, it says, To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, or the church of man's opinion, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God, I know your works, that you're neither hot, or excuse me, neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so then because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And from there he calls them to repentance. He says, you think you're rich, you're poor, naked, you're blind. It's really a description of an unbeliever, 
Uh, this is a church with believers and a lot of unbelievers. It's a church with a lot of people who think they know the Lord when they don't. It's a church that has pushed Jesus outside because we see Jesus outside knocking, saying, hey, let me in. So uh, this, this, if you just look at it uh, in the whole, whole picture, if he's knocking, he's been pushed out. But again, when he talks about lukewarmness here, and again, we've, we've talked about this before, but I think it's very applicable where we're at. This isn't a picture of God saying, I wish you either you were cold and great rebellion or you were on fire, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of, your, out, of, uh, out of my mouth. A lot of people try to make that application. Listen, when I was backslidden, I, I, I twisted scripture to try to justify my rebellion. I say, well, at least I'm not like those lukewarm Christians. The Lord likes me better in, in my great rebellion because I'm cold. So me and Jesus, we got our own deal going. And I knew I was lying the whole time. I knew it was a, it was a load, but you know, it, 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 I guess it comforted me in my debauchery. He's talking here about, again, taking man's opinion and God's word and nixing it. And he says, if you do that, you want to you, you wanna do that, I'm going to vomit it out of my mouth. That's what's going on with these guys. They are taking their opinion, their way, they're bringing it into the tabernacle, they're mixing this together, and they're expecting God to be receptive of this. There's a lot of people today, it's been a huge uh, popular term the last 15 years, they say, we need to reimagine church, and we, we need to reimagine worship. It's like, you don't need to reimagine anything, you need to get in God's word. And those are red flag words when I hear those. I need to reimagine. I don't need, I don't want to know anything about your imagination. You know, and I'm not saying everyone that says that is, you know, that there's proper applications for it. But sometimes they even laugh when, you know, songs about, you know, I'm going to imagine heaven. Open up your Bible. You don't need to imagine it. It's right there. I don't need to go live in fairyland. I got the word of God right before me. It's wonderful. Anyhow, they're mixing these things in. You see it in every dispensation. You see it all over the place today. There's so many in Christianum, only the Lord knows everyone's hearts, that have a low view of God's word and a high view of man's opinion. And that's why you see so many things coming into the church that is just that are grossly unbiblical, and then a pressure to accept those things, and then a judgment that if you don't... Uh, you're the, you're the bad guys, right? If you're going to be a fundamental Christian and say, I want to stand on what God's word says in this matter. Oh, you're not very loving. We've reimagined these things. And in our imagination, men can marry men now. In fact, we'll even ordain them and let them run the church. Well, that's a profane fire. Others wanting to reimagine the gospel. Saying, well, it's Jesus plus we're going to take the censor from our hands and put our fire in it and bring our laws into it so it's Jesus plus what we're doing. We're going to be little Jesuses and be co-redeemers. It's not salvation by grace through faith in Christ. It's that plus do A, B, C, and D, which we have prescribed for everybody. You know, you need to take up our censor and our fire. Then you're saved. Once you're a member of our church and we baptize you and of course you're tithing, then you're going to be saved. Um, that's a lie. There's whole epistles written about that lie. And then, of course, the other end of individuals uh, taking the grace of God and using it for a license to sin. And the book of Jude says that in that you deny 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this stuff's just all over the place. So again, they're trying to reimagine temple worship. They're trying to set a new course. And look at this is fresh after the revelation of God that has been given to them. This is still hot off the press, so to speak, right? It wasn't long before this that Moses had received all this instruction from the Lord. The Shekinah glory comes into the tabernacle. Then it comes again at these, these first sacrifices. And, and look at the immediate retaliation by the wicked one. He immediately, again, tries to set a new course. And uh, the Lord wasn't going to have it. And I know that, uh, that, that the New Testament canon was finished some, you know, at 1900 and some years ago. Uh, but listen, these things are as applicable as us as to, to, to today as it was back then. It doesn't matter that, oh, well, I was hot off the press, so they really needed to give more reverence, and we're, you know, at maybe uh, 1,940 years or whatever, whatever it is. I think Revelation, they say, most people believe it was written in 95 AD, so 1,900 and, you know, at 23 years. I'm sure our calendar's not accurate, but uh, you know what? And then you got the lunar calendar and the solar one. So which one are you going to go by? All these confusions. I think God did that just to, you know what? If, if we knew everything exactly, we'd really get screwy with numerology and whatnot. You know, he does those things for our grace. But it doesn't matter. These things are as fresh today as they were there. God's word is true to every single generation. But there's many people running around because the Lord has delayed in his coming. And a couple thousand years have passed. And there's a lot of people that live their life in rebellion and they think that God doesn't see it or they won't give an account, start getting really arrogant in these things. And we just can't. Listen, we need to walk in what the Lord has called us to and absolutely proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would we want to add to it or take away from it when it is so good and perfect as it is? Could it get any better? I mean, we're sinners and damned and God sends his son to die for us, to take the wrath to us upon himself, he, 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 he defeats sin and death and Satan when he resurrects from the grave and not only forgives us, then he wants to empower us to walk in newness of life versus going back and wallowing in that thing that he saved us out of. It's, there's, it doesn't get any better than that. And in all of it, he's the active party. He's the one bearing the fruit. He's the one that picks us up and encourages. He's given us his word that's written in clarity and so forth. But again, this, these guys bring their own censer or their own vessel versus the vessel of God. They bring their own fire, which is another spirit, another word, another God. I mean, think about the Holy Spirit. Uh, John the Baptist said, um, you know, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me and his sandal strap, I'm not worthy to loose. And he said, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's a, that's a good fire. The light of the word, you know, the word of God. And, and yet, and our God being an all-consuming fire, but they want to bring another fire, another spirit, another word, another God. That's why it's profane. That's why it's foreign. That's why it's a strange fire. And then again, they bring their own incense versus the incense that was used there in the temple. Remember, they had strict instruction on this, that there were certain incenses that were only supposed to be used in the temple. And if anyone else made that, they were going to be subjected to a judgment that needed to be instituted. These things were meant to be holy. And that incense was a picture of worship to God. It was to be an aroma unto the Lord 
we looked at the book of Revelation and we saw the prayers of the saints being like an aroma to the Lord there, you know, at, in the book of Revelation. And uh, how much better is the aroma of the Lord versus man's unrighteous stink? And these guys are bringing a stink into the tabernacle. And they're expecting the Lord to honor this. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, in our flesh, at times, we're more drawn to stink than, than, than to the aroma of the Lord. And that's unfortunate. Again, he says, it says here, the Lord had not commanded this. Um, we need to walk in the call of God. A- another scripture that speaks to our day. And another charge to stand on the word of truth. And it's a verse... I, I, we should have a meter in the back every time I read this verse, like a meter turns up there. I, it, it would probably, I'm sure that it would be in the high hundreds. But 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you there before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and notice here, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And we're going to see these men are about to be judged. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And then notice verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Nadab and Abihu, way back then, before this was written, were not enduring sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And the, the term here, heap up, it doesn't mean a little heap. This means there's going to be a massive heap of false teachers, of individuals that do not want to honor the Word of God, but want to mix in air they're going to heap up for themselves uh teachers and will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables so stories sweet little lies right tell me those i want to hear that i don't want to hear the truth i want to be comforted in my rebellion i want to be comforted in my lukewarmness i don't want to hear the truth I hear people sometimes, oh, I go so, you know, such a place because I feel so good when I leave. And we should be built up in the Lord, but if there's never any rebuke, any conviction, any correction, that's not Bible teaching. It's just not by the standard of the word. Listen, you don't know how many times I'm convicted all week before I show up to deliver the message on Sunday morning. And it's like, I got to work through all this before I show up here. I know I'm in trouble if I have not yet at that point. Then he says, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So we're told here the time's going to come when the word uh, isn't acknowledged by a lot and, and that many will heap up, heap up teachers that want to mix in error, that want to bring a fable, that want to bring something that, that's not biblical. And, and this was why it's so uh, ironic with something like the shack that has gross I mean, you talk about a book that if you want to adhere to the theology in that book, it will damn you to hell. It's a false God. There's a false gospel. It, it is utter lies from page to page. And then it's presented as, as something that's Christian. And on one hand, uh, you know what? The theology is defended. And then on another hand, people will say, well, it's just a fable. And yet you want to hold it up as if it's, a Christian book and then get super offended when it's called out for the heresy that's in it well the scripture says here that people will turn their ears away from truth and they'll like fables more because in the shack see no one goes to hell 
In the shack, everyone's righteous. In the shack, you get to question God and tell him why he's a bad guy. And you're justified in, you know, at your herd and position, which God is very merciful to us. But listen, that all started with man's sin in the garden. And so that appeals to people's flesh. That appeals to, to what man would have, wanting to make God like us and lower God's standard of holiness and everything else. And listen, if God's not a holy God, we're all in trouble. We're, then, then if he's not holy and righteous and true to his word, and we go to heaven, we are going to be in, in, in heaven forever in a place that won't be heaven. We're going to be up there with, a, with someone that's going to be satanic, really. God's word is true, and he's holy and is without sin. And that's why the blood of Christ is so powerful and the only thing that saves us. We have to be in right standing with him, and it's only through him. And uh, the idea of a, of a God that's not holy, that's not righteous, that does not bring righteous judgments... What a, what a, that, that, that's not heaven, that's hell is what that is. It really is. And then with these guys as well, like true heretics, they had gone along up to everything to this point. They were even there for seven days consecrating themselves. And when the opportunity arose, they introduced their heresy. And that's what you're going to find with many individuals that are in prominent places that begin to teach false doctrine. They come along, they're going along. When the opportunity arises, they introduce it. And oftentimes, on one hand, they've preached truth, and then they introduce a false gospel. And then when they're questioned over here, they point everyone back over here. And the individuals that like having their ears tickled, they just keep pointing back over here while they're listening to all of these lies over here. The enemy, of a soul, the enemy of our soul knows that, you know, he can't just show up with, with uh, horns and a pitchfork and a pointy tail and lead people astray. In 2 Corinthians eleven twelve, 12, um, it talks about Satan transforming himself into an angel of light. And then in verse 15, it says, therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves as ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according, notice here, to their works. And Nadab and Abihu came according to their own works, and they did this after already looking like they had the approval of the Lord, being consecrated, they're part of all of this, the glory of God comes down, and so forth. You know, so on one hand, it looks like, boy, these guys are, they're, they're, they're you know what, anointed. They've had hands laid on them even. They look like they're going along with the program. So if all of a sudden they bring in, their own fire and their own censor and their own incense, there are going to be a lot of people that are going to go, well, that's really not a big deal. Look at, look at over here. They did everything the right way. And yet the book of Galatians in the first chapter, Paul says, if myself or an angel of God or any other preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. But it doesn't say unless that at another point they actually preach the gospel. And I can name a lot of names. I know right now, this whole Christian thing, it's huge. And if you're not familiar with that, basically it's these pastors that have got along with these Islamic cleric that are declaring we serve the same God. There could be nothing farther from the truth. The God of Islam is a flat-out demon. Absolutely. Uh, go to the Temple Mount and the, the Dome of the Rock is there. 
which they say is the third most holy site in Islam. They didn't say that until, you know what, they wanted to try to kill people of the book, Jews and Christians. But on the top of the Dome of the Rock, it says there's only one God. His name is Allah, and he has no son. And then you get men, and, and I've named, we'll get another meter for every time I've talked about this guy. Ding! And there's a lot of guys along with this guy that have, that have signed this document, uh, which actually comes right out, out of Islam, um, of, of Christians and Muslims uh, coming together in one accord. It's right out of a verse, right out of the Quran, which is actually a verse that they are told to go and make peace in order to deceive. And you know what, Rick Warren, who people say, well, that's America's pastor. That guy ain't my pastor. He was one of the first guys to sign that declaration. Yeah, we worship the same God. That's a false gospel. In fact, you know what that's doing? That's affirming Muslims in their sin. That's saying you, we serve the same God, so you're obviously saved because we serve the same God. That's not loving Muslims at all. That's a push for acceptance by people because you're afraid if you tell them the truth, they're not going to like you. That's, there's nothing loving about that whatsoever. And many of those guys signed that, and that's a huge thing right now. There's a big push, Krishnam. Out there we have the rack with all those pamphlets. There's a pamphlet on that. This stuff's all documented. Listen, I'm not making anything up. Please go research it. Test it by God's word. And the Bible says if you preach another gospel, you're damned. That's another gospel. Now, am I going to judge his soul? I'm not. The, the word of God will, but I'm going to read the word of God and what it says. That's a frightening thing to begin to mix that error in. And again, that wasn't at the beginning of his ministry. And again, this is just an example. These things are out there all over the place. No, at, at the beginning, things look a lot cleaner. But then the right opportunity comes, and then it's introduced, and then it slowly begins to grow to the point where very recently there was like, the, in the celebration of this, there were hundreds of churches that brought Islamic clerics to come teach on their pulpits on Sunday mornings to talk about not the things they have, you know, what uh, they don't agree on, but on the points that we agree on. Guess how many pastors were invite in, invited into mosque in, in America on that day? Can you guess? Yeah, if we had a meter in the back, it'd be on zero. Zero. Because they know what they're doing. Listen, in Islam, Allah approves of you lying if it advances their cause. It's wicked. That's, that's evil. But this is how the enemy does it. And then a lot of people, they, they go along because they're like, but they said that one thing that was so good. But this looks so right over here. And yet there's not a consistency. It's a forked tongue speaking out of both sides of the mouth. And I'm going to tell you, the, the, the more prominent these individuals get, the more you're going to give an account for what you say. But then there's a past given. Well, you know what? Come on. You know what? Uh, you know what? We've all said things. Listen, again, the more people are going to hear you, you better cross every T and dot every I if people are listening. Because we're going to give an account of all our words, and we better be clear. But this is what's going on here. And again, it's been the same in every dispensation. So we need to test all things. We're going to talk about this in two weeks on Sunday morning. God's word is the standard. 
Now quickly here, verse 2, it says, So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. So if up to this point we're at verse 1 and saying, well, really, what's the big deal? Come on. Well, now we see they just got devoured. The word devoured, that's a powerful word. I think of like a, a massive like shark coming out of the, or a, a whale coming out and just consuming a boat, you know, something like devoured. This is a, a term chosen here. The Lord struck him down. They died before him. And now I know this is where some people say, how could a loving God do such a thing because he's holy and sins deserving of death and his judgments are righteous? And listen, God is loving and God had made a way for sal- of salvation for these individuals and they shun it. They said, no, we're gonna take our own censer and our own fire and our own incense. We're saved by what we're doing and God, we expect you to accept it. We're gonna mix it in. And the Lord was setting the tone right here. Remember when the church is birthed? Ananias and Sapphira, their lies, the Lord set the tone. God's been very, very gracious, very, very long-suffering. But it seems at the beginning of these dispensations of time and so forth, and that's just a period of time and so forth, it seems like this event, these things repeat themselves, and God is trying to, to, to really show his holiness, and that he does honor his word above his own name. And again, some will say, well, that was God. That's the Old Testament God. God's not like that today. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They were saved by grace through faith in the coming Messiah. We're saved by grace through faith in that same Messiah who was king. Again, we're told in 1 Corinthians 10, there, there's a recap of, of Israel's rebellion. And it says in verse 11, now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon the ends upon whom the end of the ages have come and so he says you better learn god is very gracious he is very long-suffering he is very merciful amen but the more you reject that the more you store up wrath he's the same it it is a frightening thing to twist scripture to mix in error and there are again whole epistles dedicated to these things go read second peter uh, I believe it's chapter 2 or the book of Jude. Then in chapter verse 3, it says, And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near, I must be regarded as holy, and before the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. So, in other words, listen, you're a minister of the Lord. I better be regarded as holy in your mouth and your ministry before these people so that they'll glorify me as well. And again, it's a frightening thing to make light of god almighty and his word he demands high regard because he is god again he's the potter we're the clay he's the almighty he's the one holding all this together tonight despite our rebellion and despite our rebellion in his love he sent his son to die for us what an awesome god he deserves all glory and honor and praise now upon this it says Aaron held his peace no doubt when this happened I I mean think about this if these were your two sons and these they get struck down I mean you you would obviously be upset uh, sorrowful you would be angry you'd probably say it was one infraction the error, in fact, in a minute, we're going to see a, a reference to alcohol. They were drunk. 
You know, they didn't mean to do it. They were drunk. I guess they should have thought about that before that. But in all of this, it says Aaron held his peace. In other words, truth and the fear of God prevailed over his emotions. And let me tell you, when it comes to false teaching, the word of God has to prevail over our emotions. Because the enemy will always want to play on your emotions. Especially when there's people trying to appeal to your emotions. You know what? We need to love each other. We need to be unified. These things aren't a big deal. Kumbaya. And, and, and generally, most people want to be liked, whether they want to admit that or not. Maybe they want to be liked in the way they want to be liked or regarded in the way they want to be regarded. And it's very easy to have our emotions get swayed, and now we hold our emotions above the truth of the Word of God. Can't be the case. Aaron held his peace. He said, I'm not going to act on my emotions I know what God has required. I know that God is holy. I know this has all been instituted as such, and my sons transgressed it. Verse 4, it says that Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Eziel, the, of, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. So now at this point, Moses says, carry these dead men, and you can tack on their heresy out of the camp. And see, we got an obligation to do the same. Not to allow false teaching to mix in to the church. 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. In other words, you don't put, don't put up with that. And there's scripture after scripture that speaks about rejecting the vice of individuals, withdrawing from them, calling them out, exposing these things. To say that, our God and the God of Islam is the same God. That's another Jesus. Because Allah has no son. They, re- they regard Jesus as a prophet. They give Jesus a data boy is what they give him. Oh, he was one of the prophets and then Allah was the final prophet. Who was a pedophile, by the way. Married an eight-year-old. That's not a prophet of God. That's a criminal. This stuff needs to be taken out of the camp. There needs to be a call to repentance, and then it needs to be removed. If not, it is, you know, what would happen if, if this death just remained in the camp? It, it, it distorts truth. It's a leaven that, again, will, will, will greatly multiply. And then notice as well, close relatives are called to go clean up the mess. And we're called to be watchmen, no doubt. But listen, it starts by look, watching in our own hearts, right? <laughs> and then our own backyard. And, and tending to that first. Verse 6 through 7, And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brother and the whole house of Israel bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled, you shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting lest you die for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you 
And they did according to the word of Moses. Moses. So in other words, he said, you, don't, you better not weep. You, you better not weep making it look like you're, you're, you're sorrowful for God's judgment. Now we're going to see in a minute that God was compassionate to Aaron in this. That, that God blessed Aaron in, in his honesty because he was broken over this. But it's one thing to weep over sin and death. But hear this tonight, and, and a lot of people don't get this, God is glorified in his righteous judgments. He is glorified. Make no mistake about it. On judgment day, and, and, and I know we want to preach the gospel and see people get saved. So many people focus in on the sorrow of souls being damned because they rejected Christ. But let me tell you, God is going to be mightily glorified in that day as a holy, righteous judge. I mean, the, the sin, we're, we're going to have an understanding on that day of the gross rebellion and sin. And even the fact that we would label some people moderate sinners or they, weren't, they were a good guy, but they never called on the Lord. We're going to see that for what it is. The rebellion that it is. The, the vileness that it is. The, the, the shaking the fist of God as it is. I mean, it, it's going to be comparable to, to, and I talked about this recently, recently, Larry Nasser, where we can see him, we say, that's vile. That, that doctor that molested all of these children over those years. What a vile, horrific thing. Those children were entrusted to this guy. And, and he went and he betrayed the trust of their parents. And he grossly violated hundreds and hundreds of girls. And, and when that, how many people were praising that judge? And I like that judge. He, the five, a couple days in, when all the girls were testifying, he was like, I'm sick. And I can't take this. She's like, you're going to sit here and you're going to hear every single one of these girls testify. I want her to take off her shoe and just start hitting the guy or whatever, you know. <laughs> and then praise God for the little girl that got up there and called him to repentance. Did you see that? Preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in just a, a beautiful way. But, but people are looking at that judge and they're saying, yeah, the judge is doing the right thing. And, and rightfully so, putting praise on the judge. Listen, how much more with our God? And his judgments. And don't dare anybody, but, but, but these people, he sent his son to die. His Holy Spirit to convict those individuals. And the truth is going to be, again, shown of the gross rebellion of men and that these individuals chose hell. No one, no one will be there that didn't choose it. They refused to bend knee and they said, I will be my own God. Now, some of them, that was manifest as mass murderers, and others, it was, you know, at Hokley Dokley, I'm the clean neighbor. How you doing, buddy? But never wanted to bend knee to Jesus Christ. They got Citizen of the Year Award and was the head of one of these, you know, at clubs or whatever where they raise money for local sports or whatever else it is. But it's the same heart. And so he said, Don't you dare cry. Then in verse 8, then the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, or, or to Aaron saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations, that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. So, in other words, you need to be sober minded, spirit filled, biblically grounded. You need to be able to use discernment, and when you're drunk, you don't have discernment. 
And hear this, you can be drunk with a whole lot of things. A lot of people are foolish. They just think you you're only can get drunk with alcohol. Listen, there's worse, there's worse kinds of, 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 of drunkenness. If you're drunk with alcohol, at least in the morning, you know what, you'll have your hangover, but you're going to be sobered up a bit. There's some people, they're drunk with pride every moment of their life. There's people drunk with the cares of this life, with carousing. Remember Luke 21, 34, the Lord says, watch your heart to make sure you're not weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And when we get in that place where we're drunk with things, and those things are controlling us over being a people of the word of God, being led by the spirit, we can't discern. We don't have discernment. We can't discern between what is good and what is evil. And that's why it's a really bad road to go down on when, when the ministry starts becoming about, you know what, about how grand we are and look what all we've done. And when it becomes about striving to build little kingdoms and followers and I'm going to tell you, over the years, I've just seen this trend where, where pastors' conferences are all about how we're going to teach you how to be a leader and, and have a big, giant church and have your names up in, in, in lights. And then we're going to bring all these secular people in, and they're going to tell you what to be doing so you can be successful. That whole uh, Willow Creek puts it on every year. It's the Global Leadership Conference. And, and several churches, even in our own community, host the thing. I could care less what Condoleezza Rice has to say about church. She needs to get saved. These individuals. You're going to come tell us we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. I mean, those in Corinth were rebuked because there wasn't someone that could even settle, uh, you know, things that had to do with small claims court. And they're rebuked for that. But we're going to bring these people in to tell us what we're going to do? You're going to lose your discernment. We better be a humble people. We got to be a people that aren't drunk with idolatry and, and with our own agenda. Because discernment's going to go right out the window as soon as that happens. Or we're drunk with our own opinion like the Laodiceans, like Nadab and Abihu. They were drunk, again, with their own gospel, with their own opinion. These were prideful individuals. And then it sounds like they had one or two on top of that. And it was, it, was, it was alcohol and pride mixed together. Never, never a good thing. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit. We're going to talk about that Sunday. Looking forward to that. And then it says, do not despise prophecies or the prophetic, the word of God, the prophetic word of truth. And then he says, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. So in other words, discern everything by the word of God. You need to be able to discern. And when you're drunk, you don't have discernment. You're not using God's word as a standard. When you're drunk, it's utter foolishness, right? There is no standard, really. You're led astray, and whether you're a nice drunk or an angry drunk or whatever it is. But again, there's worse kinds of drunkenness than that. And then in verse 11, he says, and that you may teach the children of Israel the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. So in other words, you need to be sober so you can discern good and evil and then so that you can properly teach those things to your kids. And again, this world, there's drunk people all over the place. 
Because they're teaching four-year-old girls now that you might be a little boy. That's satanic. That's probably, that's probably one of the most satanic things I've seen since I've been on the face of this earth. It is vile. It is wicked. It is child abuse. And these individuals hold it up as it's some form of righteousness. And I guarantee you there'll be people tonight that would say, you're, you're preaching hate speech and we're going to arrest you right now. I heard about a guy, it was on Generations, it's one of the programs on our station, and they were talking about a guy who was at an abortion clinic ministering and praying for people going in, and, and I don't know how it all went down, but he, he told one of the people there they were dead in their sins, and the police came and arrested him, saying it was a threat, and it was hate speech. So, so that's what happens when the church doesn't stand for truth and wants to mix in error and, 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 and you know, it, you can look at all this stuff, you know what it comes down to? The church not being salt and light. Judgment begins with the house of God. And, and listen, I'm, I'm, I don't say that without acknowledging the fact I'm going to give an account to God Almighty myself. Now, verse 12 through 15, And Moses spoke to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons who were left, Take the grain offering of the remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord, and eat without leaven besides the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place, because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifice made by fire to the Lord, for so I have been commanded. The breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering you shall eat in a clean place, you, your sons, your daughters with you, for they are your due and your son's due, which you are given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh and the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall the uh, offerings of the children of israel uh, of of let's see the thigh and of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the lord and it shall be yours your sons with you by a statue forever as the lord commanded and so again these men have fallen what were they to do Press on in the things of God. These guys mix this stuff in. It was called out. It was tragic. What are they to do? Continue on what God's called them to do. It was an excuse for them now to go do their own thing. And there's a lot of people, their response to false teaching, their response to hypocrisy is, that excuses me now from doing what God's called me to do. And they sit over then on their self-righteous log and saying, because all this bad stuff going on, I'm okay sitting over here. I had a guy years ago who, who, you know, had been walking with the Lord in church and he called me one day and he said, I'm not going to church anymore. He wasn't going to this church at the time. And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on? It's full of hypocrites and all this kind of stuff and all these accusations. And I go, you're a bigger hypocrite than all those people. Who are you to make that judgment? I go, at least they're in church. And then it became one of those things, you know, you're a judgmental. And I go, look, at God's word called you, has called you to be in fellowship. And their error does not excuse your rebellion. It just doesn't. And a lot of times we'll take up that mantle, don't we? I know people who could discern every false doctrine on the horizon. And they're not even in church. They don't even go to church when they can they've forsaken the assembly of the brethren 
And then they excuse that based on all this false teaching. So now I'm excused in fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in the Lord. We got to discern our own walk. (laughs) That's where discernment starts. It's not just about doctrine. It's about fruit and obedience as well. Verse 16. And we're going to close on this. You didn't think I'd make it. We got two minutes. (laughs) Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering and there it was burned up, and he was angry with Eleazar, Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the holy place, since it is most holy, and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation to make atonement for them before the Lord? See, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you should have eaten it in the holy place as I commanded. So basically, they didn't eat their paycheck. They didn't have an appetite after everything that had happened. And they just let it burn versus taking off what was appropriated to them and taking it home and eating it. And Moses inquiring carefully about this. And Aaron said to Moses, look, this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord and such things have befallen me. If I'd eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So when Moses heard it, he was content. In other words, Aaron says, listen, I've done what I need to do, but I'm not going to play a game with God. The Lord knows that my, my, I am grieving. The Lord knows that, that uh, if I would have eaten that, it wouldn't have been done out of a pure heart. And I'm not going to be a phony about the whole thing. And then Moses was like, I'm content. Moses didn't force the issue. Uh, some people, listen, they, 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 they don't know when to lay off. He had inquired, this happened, he heard. Again, there's the letter of the law, there's the spirit of the law as well. And, and the, 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 the law was about bringing them closer to the Lord. And Aaron knew, listen, if I go through this, it's gonna be sinful. So I'm gonna let it burn, and I'm gonna ask for just God's grace and mercy. I, I need to, to mourn right now. And there was a contentment because there was an honesty with God. It wasn't a rebellious heart, but it was more just a, a, a heart of, of brokenness and humility before God Almighty. He said, I'm not going to hide this. I'm not going to try to play a game here. And, uh, you know, you see the Lord honoring it, and I know he honors that today. So, Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We praise you. Lord, there's a lot here for us to glean from. I pray that we would, and I pray, God, that the first applications made would be to our own walk, our own lives, our own doctrine and discernment, and so forth, God. Uh, we desperately need your help. Lord, tonight, uh, there's things as individuals here that we are drunk with. Uh, things, Lord, that are our master passion over you. Lord, let us be honest and real with you about that. And cry out to you, knowing you want to minister to those things. And Lord, that uh, as your word declares, a humble and contrite heart, you won't refuse, God. Uh, we just need you, Lord. We thank you for your great grace and mercy. And uh, the fact that, Jesus, you took the wrath to us to make that way of escape from that white throne judgment, to know our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and we have eternal life through, through your work of Calvary. What a glorious name. And tonight, if you haven't called on his name, today's the day of salvation. And it's time to repent. It's time to turn from being your own God. Repent of that and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and call on him for salvation. And... and uh, And he will meet you where you're at. He absolutely will.
Bless the rest of our night. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.